20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 280 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. My name is Andy Herman. I am a writer for Cheesehead TV. Of course, as always, you can follow me on Twitter at Scani Sports. Today, I am joined by Owen Reese. He is a writer for Bucky's Fifth Quarter, and he is the newest official full-time member of the Pack-A-Day podcast team. Owen, thanks so much for joining me this evening to continue our recap of the Packers draft. You bet, Andy. Thanks for having me. I know we were discussing this a bit off air. It's a bit uh, off schedule, but we'll make it work. Yeah, I I appreciate everyone's help as always, and everyone's done a great job always for uh, pitching in when I can't go, and uh, I'm happy to kind of take the mantle today and, and fill in for Nick, who's a little under the weather. So I'm excited to talk to you. You and I have, uh, we did the uh, mock draft podcast together, but we've never done a full episode, so I'm looking forward to this. Uh, Owen, before we even kind of jump in, we're going to be obviously discussing Elton Jenkins and Jay Sternberger in depth today. But before we even get to those two specific players, this is your first time on the podcast since the the Packers, you know, obviously, you know, made all their selections in the draft. What were your initial impressions and, and your overall takeaways uh, from this past weekend's draft for the Packers specifically? Uh, sure. So on Thursday night, obviously, they took Rashawn Gary, which I don't think really any of us saw coming. Um, which is probably how they like it. Uh, and then so there I was kind of, I don't want to say underwhelmed, but um, a bit taken aback at first and kind of, you know, the more you thought about it and the more you kind of considered what's going on and, and looked at his size and athletic profile and compared to the guys they've been bringing in, it started to make a bit more sense. And then then you're like, okay, well, now we're waiting until 30, but but we're okay. And then they trade up to 21 with the Seahawks, which isn't altogether um, – out of the ordinary, they've you know obviously Gutekunst and John Schneider have a pretty good relationship that way. Uh, but then they take Darnell Savage, which again uh, I wasn't disappointed or anything, but it's certainly ta- a little bit taken aback. I didn't know if they were jumping up in front of Baltimore to take Hollywood Brown or or if they were looking at a safety or, or what the, the case may be. But then all of a sudden they get Savage, and um, Gutekunst said at the end of the day, "Well, we knew for a fact he wasn't going to get to 30." Uh, and then things started to make a bit more sense when you remember that the Packers had hired Milt Hendrickson, uh, which was basically like the Ravens number two or three um, uh, behind Eric DaCosta. And then immediately once Green Bay traded up, then Baltimore traded out. Uh, so those kind of things sort of started to fall in line. And I don't know. I mean, I I was especially happy with the Elton Jenkins pick, which we'll obviously talk about here in a second. But uh, it's a bit frustrating at times trying to, to predict who the Packers will look at because of their inability or, or unwillingness to take interior offensive linemen, which can be a bit difficult at times to kind of project things. But um, overall, I thought they did well. They obviously, they kind of stuck to their, stuck to their system, a lot of uh, high profile athletes and uh, a lot of home run swings on guys that, that you can do that on. So um, a lot of, not, I wouldn't say boomer bust, but certainly a lot of guys with a lot of room of growth or uh, a lot of potential. So uh, kind of the theme stuck that way. And, and you see that uh, in undrafted free agency as well. So I was, I was happy with it. Uh, looking back on it, there's certainly, uh, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but I, I was, um, you know, as a fan, I think I was certainly excited with the amount of talent that they were able to take away from the draft. I think a lot of people probably expected a bit more offense, but overall, um, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And, and if Rashawn Gary comes out this year and has seven sacks as a third pass rusher, I think everyone's over the moon. So. 
Yeah, I think it was uh, kind of the initial shock to the system. And, and you did a really great job of explaining it because I think if you would have told a, a lot of Packer fans that they would have moved up in the first round, ended up with picks 12 and 21 and kind of only left with Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage, I think a lot of people going into the draft would have said, oh, no, like that's that's not what kind of was expected. But when you kind of, uh, you know, take that initial shock away and kind of like you said, just kind of look at the players as who they are. And I've been really hesitant because I don't want to, I guess, I get into the trap of, you know, looking at these draft picks with rose tinted glasses after the case, uh, because it's really, really easy to do that, especially when you kind of go back and look at the tape now that you know they're Green Bay Packers and you kind of want to see the positives in them rather than kind of seeing the whole picture beforehand. But I will say, even with trying very, very hard not to do that, uh, both of these players have have grown on me a bit uh, in, in Savage and Gary, the more and more that I watch them. I don't know if you've had a chance to go back and watch the tape afterwards, but has your uh, has your mindset with either player changed in any way at all? Um, I haven't got a chance. I haven't gone back and watched Rashawn Gary yet. That's my next thing to do. I did re- go back and watch Darnell Savage again. And, uh, and, and maybe this is a bit what you're talking about, but upon second review, I was kind of almost surprised, like, wow, I can't believe this guy wasn't talked about as a first round prospect more right until the very end. Uh, you know, I think it's, it was, it's always easy to, you know, I think everyone in maybe in drafts, Twitter, or football, Twitter, or whatever you want to call it, uh, a lot of guys kind of get their favorites and they trumpet them. And I think that after a long enough time of, being on the timeline and, and really hearing all the conversations constantly, I think you kind of get that, um, you know, the people that aren't being talked about kind of get forgotten. Uh, and, and I think that Savage may have been that way. Um, you know, he was a guy, uh, actually, I was, I felt pretty proud of myself. I brought him up um, on our last episode before the draft, the sleepers. I mentioned he and Juan Thornhill as guys that could potentially sneak into the end of the first round. And uh, I think, again, if you would have told me they traded up nine picks to get Darnell Savage, I would have kind of been, oh, okay. But <laughs> kind of looking back on it, you know, the pieces are all there. He's a, he's a very high-profile athlete. He's aggressive. He played multiple spots at, at Maryland. I think really probably in the, the impression I've kind of got here, and I don't know if it's writing on the wall for Josh Jones or not, but to me, Darnell Savage is like uh, what Josh Jones was supposed to look like. Um, a guy that's a, a big physical guy that's that's fast and athletic and versatile, um, you know. But and maybe I need to go back and rewatch Jones's college tape to see if I, I was missing something. But to me, it almost seems like Savage is, like I said, he might be what Packer, the Packers or Packers fans at least wanted Josh Jones to be. Whereas Jones really is almost getting to the territory of where he may end up better as a linebacker. But um, you know, Savage can. I, I, I don't know if he'll end up at nickel or, or free safety or where the exact spot he'll end up at, but um, you know I think that's that that piece of clay that Mike Patton's going to want to play with, and um, you know I think Mike Patton to me seems like a guy. He's like if he could take completely take linebackers off the field and just have pass rushers and coverage guys, <laughs> I think he might do that. But um, so I mean the more versatile uh, defenders that the, that they can have, and obviously the high profile athletes help with that. But I think. I kind of came away eventually. Like I said that wasn't my initial reaction, but I think really Darnell Savage is probably my favorite pick the Packers made. I agree, a hundred percent agree. And uh, one thing that I keep going back to is if you've got a lineup that you know on the field 
with maybe Josh Jones at starting off at linebacker and Darnell Savage or Tremont Williams in the slot, and then the other one playing safety, you've got three really unique pieces that you can kind of rotate around even at the last minute right before pre-snap to, to kind of confuse some defenses, both in the front seven with a Rashawn Gary and, of course, the Smiths and Mike Daniels and Kenny Clark, and then, you, you know, even Kyler Fackrell, Kyle or, uh, and Dean Lowry, excuse me. And then you've got on the backside all of these different unique pieces now with Adrian Amos and uh, Josh Jones and Tremont Williams and Darnell Savage. I just love the flexibility that Mike Pettin's going to have. He has so many pieces and different things that he hasn't had, uh, obviously, last year in Green Bay. So I think that might be the thing that I'm most uh, excited about after, after watching both of the players just a little bit more. Absolutely. And I think the other two that you didn't mention, um, and they really may end up being a part of a contingency plan if Mike Daniels doesn't come back, but Montrevious Adams and Kingsley Kiki are two guys yeah. as well. It wouldn't surprise me. More versatility, more big athletic defensive linemen that can play across the defensive front. You know, scout Charles Wells really made a point of that uh, when he was talking about Kiki that he's like, he played nose for them. He's played end. He's a big framed guy. His weight has fluctuated kind of depending on what the coaching staff has wanted. Uh, and and he's, he, I think he could, he could play three, he could be a B gap or C gap defender. He can move inside and, and he said you'd play you know, a zero or a one if you want. Uh, in nickel packages and stuff. So just the more things you can do um, or the more places you can line up, it's it's no longer um, – it's frustrating for me at times, I think, and a lot of football fans, but this is no longer – this isn't Madden anymore. You don't really run a 4-3 or a 3-4. You don't have whatever. Everything's nickel and everything's dime, and it's a, it's almost like a um, – it's a, like an amoeba. You know, however many – however, wherever you can put your 11 guys on defense, you know, to defend whatever the offense is doing, it's no longer – well, we have seven guys in the box and, and four secondary players. It's we're going to put 11 guys out there and, you know, who knows where they're all going to end up. But it's all as long as you play your role, um, you know, and get get your guys headed to where they need to go. Uh, that versatility is really, I think, going to end up being king, uh, which is what we saw from a lot of the Packer prospects they took. No, I think that's a very valid point. And like I said, I'm excited to see what Mike Patton's going to do with all of them. But uh, enough about uh, some of those first round picks. Our, our main topic of discussion today, again, is going to be Elton Jenkins and Jay Sternberger kind of doing a little bit more of a deep dive. So I want to start with Elton Jenkins, of course. You have this 6'4", 3'10", interior offensive lineman out of Mississippi State, played on the inside, played on the outside, tackle, guard, center. Uh, I think all five positions, if not at least four positions across the offensive line, was a 23-year-old redshirt senior, allowed three sacks over his past four seasons and only one in the last two seasons. Two seasons, excuse me. I want to get your impressions on Elton Jenkins and what you think he's going to bring to the Packers. So I saw him down at the Senior Bowl, and to be honest, when you first see him, you're like, wow, this is a big dude. And then you see him move, and you're like, wow, he's really athletic. Like, maybe he'll be a, a finesse guy, uh, because a lot of the times, I guess, maybe and maybe unfairly, but you kind of get those maulers kind of get cast as these slow, plotting guys. And I kind of came away with a little bit of both, um, but but missing a bit on both at the same time. So I would call Jenkins, like, you hear a lot of times, like, athletic, big athletic tackles get called, like, dancing bears. And that's how I would kind of describe Jenkins, but on the inside. Um, you know, he's he's not finesse by any means because there is some nasty and the, there is some power there, but that's not really his game. Um, you know, it's really athleticism and, and getting, you know, movement, uh, you know, being able to move laterally. I think that's why I think he's a great fit for this Matt LaFleur system. I think either at center or guard. Uh, like I said, he's not he's not the extreme. He's not a Garrett Bradbury or, or someone like that, but I, he's a guy to me that, like I said, I was very, very – 
uh, pleasantly surprised when they selected Elton Jenkins. I figured it would be uh, a skill player or um, maybe even a tackle. And as you mentioned, Elton Jenkins has played tackle in his college career. But uh, to me, he's a guy that can wear a bunch of different hats. And with the Packers, I'm sure I've seen, whether it's been Justin McRae or Byron Bell or Jari Evans or Alan or Lucas Patrick or Cor- they've had a bevy of guys playing on the inside. Uh, and, and someone like Jenkins, even if he doesn't start year one, uh, I think he's your top backup at all three spots, you know, and, and eventually moving forward, just providing more competition on that interior offensive line. So I think I was very happy with it. Uh, like I said, he's a guy that, He's a big dude that's tough, but he wins with almost wins with athleticism rather than than nastiness, um, which is probably a perfect fit for this type of scheme. Like um, you know, running as much outside zone and getting as much horizontal movement as the Packers are looking to get. Yeah, I thought he anchored really well too, and I think he flashed some finishing ability, like you said, a little bit of that dancing bear, and also had some really good football IQ, and and always was looking for ways to find someone to block, find work if he if he wasn't uh, you know initially marked up against somebody. So uh, definitely some things that I liked out of him. Uh, you know, you kind of brought up the point too of uh, some of his flexibility on the offensive line. I think the thing that Green Bay really added here is is some great flexibility across the entire offensive line by both adding him and Billy Turner in this offseason, because now you've got a couple guys, and this has been an issue for the past few years, you know, probably even three, four, five years, where they just haven't had those guys that could step in in a situation, really since, I guess, you know, if you want to call it, you know, Don Barclay, but Don Barclay wasn't good at any of the five positions. Oh. He could play them all, but he wasn't good at any of them. Right. So, you know, they haven't had those type of players that can come in and be solid players. And, uh, you know, you have two active guys on game day like that. And if one guy goes down, it doesn't really kind of matter which one does because you've got guys who can fill in at a variety of different positions. And that has a lot of value on game day. And, uh, and again, just w- with one guy going down at any point in the last few seasons, there was an immediate big gap on that team. And above and beyond that, right guard was an albatross last year and that they just did not have uh, anybody that could step up. They tried a variety of different players, Byron Bell, Justin McCray, uh, to name the top two, but nothing ever stuck. And now they've got options. And I would even add, uh, you know, Cole Madison and Alex Light into those conversations as well. And for the first time, it seems like they've got some depth. I still question tackle depth a little bit. I'm not sure how much I trust, uh, you know, Jason Spriggs, and I'm not sure how much I totally trust Billy Turner at tackle quite yet, but it's an improvement. And I think it's a really big step in the right direction. No doubt. And I think that someone, even like Spriggs, which I'm still, yeah, I think the, the jury's sort of still sort of out on him. Uh, but let him just play tackle then. Uh, and I think that'll help him quite a bit and benefit him. Uh, you know, his rookie year, he got thrown in at guard. And that's something, too, where now you have some depth, you have some uh, flexibility there, whether Billy Turner starts at right guard and, you know, say Brian Bulaga gets hurt. You can play a Jenkins at guard or you can play Cole Madison at guard and you can bump Billy Turner out to tackle or you can play Spriggs at tackle where you can have, you can kind of put these guys in the best situation possible for them to succeed rather than simply trying to band-aid the problem, uh, which has really been the issue, um, you know, over the past few years. And I don't, uh, I was a bit frustrated uh, with so many Packer fans being upset or, or disappointed maybe that it was, you know, an offensive lineman that might not even start in the second round. Uh, but it wasn't that long ago that Latroy Guyon had to finish the NC at, or NFC championship game at guard um, as a nose tackle. So, adding quality competition to the room, quality depth, and, and, and just improving the talent in the room. Uh, you know, it's not the flashy 
you know, sexy piece for Rodgers. It's not Hollywood Brown or it's not, you know, a big tight end. It's not Nova Fant or whatever, but you're helping Aaron Rodgers immensely. Um, you know, and it's not always the, the super apparent thing, but the more quality offensive linemen you can have on the roster, which has been a problem in years past for the Packers, the more comfortable Aaron Rodgers can be back, um, you know, as a trying to improvise, you know, obviously we'll, we're still to be seen how much of that will be tolerated or allowed um, under, under Matt LaFleur. But, um, you know, the more comfortable or the more confident you can be with the front five in front of him, the more comfortable you are with him, allowing himself to be himself and really extend these plays without as much of the constant risk of, you know, getting drilled by some defensive lineman that beat your off the street free agent that you're playing at guard that week. For sure. Totally, totally agree. Now, the last question I want to ask in regards to this pick now is, you know, Packer fans, of course, are going to note that there were some players on the board, you know, Greedy Williams, Irv Smith Jr., A.J. Brown, and of course, the the big fall of D.K. Metcalf as well. And and even uh, Nasir Adderley, who I know a lot of Packer fans liked. Was there a, a player at this position that you would have preferred to Jenkins? Or was he somebody that when, you know, when the pick came up, uh, you, you were you felt very comfortable with him and, and was, you know, uh, somebody that you were uh, happy with once they made that selection? Well, it was really a player that I hadn't considered that they would take. Um, you know, I obviously he had had the tackle experience early in his career, but he hadn't played it for multiple years. Uh, you know, so going into day two, there was the three big offensive linemen. There was Reisner, uh, Jawan Taylor, and it was Taylor Ford. And Reisner. Yeah, Cody Ford. Thank you. And so those were the three. I was like, well, any of those three would be fine. I even kind of, especially Juwan Taylor, if you were to get him at that spot, I wasn't wild about taking a tackle in the first round that wasn't going to play. Uh, but it's certainly at that point, the value kind of exceeds um, any type of, of, of need, I guess. Um, so that would have been fine. Those were the three I considered. The other ones, and, and obviously Chauncey Gardner-Johnson fell quite a bit farther than this as well. But I mentioned he and Nasir Adderley, and a lot of people, you know, had asked, why do you want a third safety? And the initial thought is, in case – we don't know exactly what they want to do with Darnell Savage yet, but that would really kind of, uh, I guess, would have cleared the picture up quite a bit. It's if you would have gotten someone like Nasir Adderley, who's more of a traditional free safety, I think that would have pretty much, uh, you know, guaranteed or at least helped, like I said, help uh, clear the picture of where that, that Savage would be a – um, you know, a bit of a, a flexible chess piece. Um, and, and rather that if they would have targeted someone like Chauncey Gardner Johnson, then maybe Savage would have played free safety because Johnson is that card Gardner Johnson is that same Swiss army knife. Um, so those were the other things that I guess, I, I don't know if I really have a strong opinion as to whether or not they would have taken them over Savage. I think it was a fine pick or excuse me, not Donald Savage, uh, Elton Jenkins. I think it was a fine pick. Um, but those were just kind of the other thought processes I sort of had. Uh, and and those were kind of the directions I thought it was going. I thought maybe receiver, and obviously DK Metcalf falling that far was certainly tempting, and AJ Brown as well. But uh, you know, I guess it's all it's all a horse apiece because if they would have taken a receiver, then everyone would have complained the first time that Aaron Rodgers got sacked that he doesn't have any offensive linemen, uh, and vice versa. So um, obviously now he doesn't have anyone to throw to. But you know, you have to help him somehow, and, and obviously the board seemingly fell for the Packers that Elton Jenkins was their top guy, and and they were very happy to take him. So. Uh, I don't have much of a complaint with it. Like I said, I hadn't really considered him as an as an option, uh, but I think he and Eric McCoy were probably the two best true interior linemen left, uh, and they got uh, Jenkins, and then McCoy went shortly after. So um, it all worked out fine for me. I guess I don't. I didn't really have a a strong opinion either way on, or I didn't have a ton of conviction on someone else they should take. 
uh, after those three top offensive linemen were already off the board by the time they picked. No, I, I was on the same boat. Uh, I liked the pick. It was somebody that uh, I, had, I had kind of pegged in that range. Like you said, I didn't necessarily expect Green Bay to take him. But when I heard the name and again, with the, the needs on the interior of the offensive line, I was pretty excited about the pick as soon as it happened. But let's transition over to Jay Sternberger, 6'4", 251, tight end out of Texas A&M. 22-year-old redshirt junior. Uh, he was pro football focus's highest rated draft eligible tight end when facing single coverage in 2018, better than both TJ Hawkinson and Noah Fant. Uh, he didn't really meet their general thresholds for, you know, the, their speed and agility that they, they generally kind of look for. Um, and he doesn't really necessarily fit potentially what Matt LaFleur is looking at by an all around tight end, somebody who can be that pass catching tight end, but also kind of hold up at the point of attack, both as a a run blocker and a pass blocker. Uh, First of all, did that surprise you that they kind of went off script a little bit here because they liked him so much? Uh, And, and second of all, what were your just initial thoughts on Sternberger? Well, he was a guy that I had really liked. Um, I know uh, there are certainly some concerns as far as his blocking or, maybe lack of physicality. He's a, I believe he went to Kansas uh, as a receiver initially and then transferred to a Juco and ended up as a tight end at Texas A&M. But he's a guy that I really liked. He's a very natural receiver at that spot. I think he's probably primarily like a flex tight end, uh, but he's, he's really, he's just, and I know Gutekunst referred to him this as well. He's a matchup problem. You know, he's a six foot four, 250 pound receiver essentially. uh, And and he's a guy that uh, adds a bit, more flexibility to the Packers offense as far as a personnel standpoint, other than maybe Jimmy Graham, if they've got a tight end on the field, they're probably a guy that's going to play in line. Uh, and, and a lot of their receivers are, are, are taller guys or, um, you know, the, it's another body type to throw at the defense. Uh, I was a bit surprised cause he, he's not an elite athlete uh, or anything like the two Iowa tight ends would have been, or, um, or even like a Dawson Knox from Ole Miss uh, who I believe I went 10 or so of picks after Sternberger, but, uh, they very clearly coveted him, and uh, you know, like I said, the that history as a receiver certainly shows he's very comfortable running after the catch, uh, and he's a pretty good contested catch receiver for a guy who's not obviously he's not short at six four, but not one of the larger profile guys. Someone like Fant, uh, or someone like if you think of like the tight ends like Gronkowski, there are these six seven Jesse James from Pittsburgh. Uh, no, I believe he's now with the Lions, but these six seven six eight tight ends. Uh, that you can kind of throw these jump balls to. He's not one of those guys, but he is good in those situations. And another red zone guy, I think he's a guy that you could probably get away with lining up uh, in line on the red zone. Uh, Jimmy Graham, obviously, we saw last year wasn't quite as adept at that as we would have hoped. Uh, But certainly a guy that, like I said, provides quite a bit of versatility to the offense. And, um, you know, like I said, blocking certainly not his strong suit, but uh, showed a willingness to do so, at least at Texas A&M, not always a – um, maybe above borderline willingness to do so, but certainly something uh, it's not a complete liability uh, like Jimmy Graham's is. And I think that's something where he's probably the Jimmy Graham replacement uh, in 2020 uh, following this, this last guaranteed season of Graham's contract. Yep. I'm on hundred percent on the same page. I think they're going to try to move on from Jimmy Graham. And I think if everything goes according to plan, like you said, he will be the number one tight end going into 2020 for this offense. And I think the big thing to remember too, you know, Mike McCarthy, 
was somebody who wanted things to fit in his system. And it didn't matter if Jimmy Graham couldn't block. It didn't matter if, uh, you know, the, the players that, that he had in the game, uh, you know, weren't, you know, a hundred percent adept at doing something. He was going to ask him to do it anyway, because that's what his offense required. And uh, he cer- certainly showed some flexibility at times, but for the most part, that was kind of the case. I think with Matt LaFleur, He's going to really try to use these weapons to the best of their ability. And I have a lot of faith that he's going to be able to use Jay Sternberger in a lot of really fun ways. Uh, We saw him run some wheel routes at Texas A&M. I love his hands. I think he's going to be a third down weapon. There were multiple plays I saw on tape where at the very last second, he was able to turn around and make a really quick adjustment to the football and come down with it has enough size to kind of, uh, you know, box out some of those smaller players. So yeah, he's got to work on his blocking. I love the fact that in his initial interview, he said, Hey, I know I got to work on my blocking. It's something that I got to get better at if I want to succeed at this level. So at least he understands that. And like you said, he started as a receiver and, uh, you know, a lot of tight ends at this point in college who have played tight end their entire time are not good blockers to, to come as a wide receiver. And then all of a sudden start lining up in line and, and having to try to do some of that stuff again against SEC defensive linemen and linebackers. That's a, that's a tall task, and, and it's certainly not going to get any easier in the NFL, but he's still very much you know new to the position, and he's a great receiver and a, a big threat over the middle, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm semi-hopeful he can pick that up over time. No doubt, and certainly someone like uh, Sternberger switching from uh, the, the spread system prior in Texas A&M to now getting uh, Jimbo Fisher, who run, really runs a, a – a, fairly pro style system uh, for whatever that term means anymore. Uh, but he asks their tight ends to line up in, in line and in block. And like I said, he's not going, he's not a devastating blocker by any stretch, but showed a willingness to do it. And there's some uh, ability there. It's not like, I remember a couple of years ago, Bucky Hodges, who was like literally never asked to block, but was a tight end uh, guys like that. There's, there's some familiarity there. And like, obviously, like you said, with the self-awareness, a uh, big part of it. Um, so, you know, it's and blocking is so much. And I know you and I had a, I believe an exchange on Twitter regarding Jimmy Graham, um, but blocking so much, it's a want to thing. You yep. don't have to be a great blocker to try really hard as a blocker. And a lot of times, if you really just work your tail off, you'll get close to the job done uh, or at least give the defender enough of an issue uh, to to make up for it. You don't need to to be a devastating blocker by any stretch, but uh, there was a lot of times where, uh, you know, Jimmy Graham showed little to no effort as a blocker. And while I can certainly, um, you know, I, I coach high school, but certainly it's one of those things where I can definitely tolerate you getting beat as long as you're trying hard. Uh, effort isn't something that, that should have to be a concern, uh, even if you're doing something that you know you're not particularly good at. And that's something that where, you know, obviously I don't know how much that, you know, we're not in the building. I don't know if the culture is changing or the expectations are any different or, or a lot of that uh, hoopla, but um, certainly guys that you can get these younger guys that'll potentially buy into what Lafleur selling and, and kind of a, a, a bit of a changing of a mindset uh, can go a long way. And like you said, that Sternberger is by no means some devastating blocker, but um, if he's willing to work and try at it, that's we're farther ahead than we were a year ago. And, and that's, like I said, progress. So uh, excited to see him on the field. Uh, I'm curious to see what Packer fans think of him wearing 87. Uh, <laughs> but I think it'll look good. And, um, you know, hopefully he's, uh, you know, quick to fill the shoes of what that number entails. 
Yeah, that's probably another podcast for another day of the 87 and 52 usage so quick, but I, I kind of love it. Uh, you know, kind of, uh, just getting on with a, a new era, a new regime, and we're not looking back. We're looking forward. This is about this team this year. And, uh, you know, they're going to try to be aggressive and, and, and try to win things right away. And I just kind of love the mentality that they've had so far. So, uh, but like I said, probably another podcast for another day on that. Uh, any last thoughts on Sternberger or Jenkins, uh, before we move forward? I'm uh, just really excited. Like I said, I, I don't know if if Elton Jenkins would make the thought process of potentially like June firsting Lane Taylor or something or whatever the case may be there. And I believe Taylor's due for six or seven million dollars this year. Um, I could be wrong on that, but um, you know, just the the flexibility they have there, depending on how quickly they're looking to move on or, or what the case may be. Uh, we've seen them do that quite a bit over the past few years, or at least not be afraid to cut starters or contributing players on the interior offensive line uh, so that I don't know if that's in their plans, but that thought was that that immediately popped up in my mind. Um, and then for sure, just Sternberger, I'm curious to see because they've got, I'm, I guess my thing is, I guess I'm curious to see if they'll carry four tight ends because they've got Graham and Mercedes Lewis and then Robert Tanyan and now, now Sternberger. So that'll be my thing. I'm curious to see if Sternberger or Tanyan, uh, will eat into the wide receiver roster spots or if uh, they're going to try to sneak somebody onto the practice squad or, or whatever the case may be. But those are my two initial thoughts right away after the pick and um, something we'll obviously still have to wait a bit to see. Yeah, I think they'll definitely keep four tight ends. And I definitely think Graham and uh, Sternberger are obviously locks. I'd be pretty surprised if they moved on from Mercedes Lewis, especially because they don't have another blocking guy. Uh, And then I think, you know, obviously I love Robert Tanyan, but I think it wouldn't shock me if at some point they tried to bring in another, uh, you know, blocking guy uh, just to, you know, add a little bit more flavor. And then, you know, maybe that competition is between uh, Tanyan and, and that player, but uh, you know, maybe someone like a Dion Sims or something like that. But, uh, you know, certainly uh, time will tell, but I definitely think they'll they'll keep four tight ends on the roster would be my guess. And then from Elaine Taylor's standpoint, I don't think that they will June 1st him uh, just because I, th- there's no uh, real upside in releasing him now rather than at the end of training camp. I think they would give him through training camp and uh, let him see, you know, and see what they, uh, you know, feel about Jenkins and Alex Light and Cole Madison and Billy Turner and all those guys. But if all of a sudden they feel like Jenkins, uh, who, again, as a second round pick, is an internal offensive or interior offensive lineman, that's a starting caliber player that they're thinking he can be by picking him there. They're paying Billy Turner starting guard money. If Cole Madison and, and Alex Light show that they can back up or Justin McCray or uh, one of their other younger offensive linemen all of a sudden shows that they can do that, then yeah, I think Lane Taylor could be in trouble. But I would guess that they'd give him camp to compete. And then again, kind of maybe a similar situation to what happened with Josh Sitton. If all of a sudden they feel very comfortable with one of those guys, like they felt comfortable with Lane Taylor a few years back, uh, then maybe he could be on the outs at the end of training camp. But I think he'll I think he'll stick around for a while longer. And I do think that this team is better with Lane Taylor on it. And I just talked about it's finally nice to have some depth and certainly wouldn't make a ton of sense to all of a sudden finally have that depth and then just turn around and, and cut your starter from a season ago. But you have to remember, like you said, there, there's about $8 million in savings over this year and next by releasing him. And if they don't think he's the guy and maybe they don't think that he's going to take too well to being a, a backup player, uh, then yeah, you, you look to trade him. If you can't get anything, you move on, you save the money and uh, you kind of bank that uh, and, and carry it over into next year. But uh, I think that'll be a definitely a, an interesting uh, you know, competition to watch in training camp should this all come to fruition. 
For sure. And especially like you said, with some, this cold, cold Madison thing is almost a guy I, very happy uh, and very encouraged to see that he's back on the team. Uh, but he was almost a guy that at this point I had almost written off. Um, you know, some it's, it's such a definitely not unforeseen or not, not unheard of, but certainly, um, you know, the long, it's kind of one of those situations, the longer he's away, the, the more you're uh, hesitant to think that he'll come back. Um, so certainly uh, happy to see that he, feels um, well enough mentally and in the frame of mind to be able to be back with the Packers. And like I said, he really throws a, a bit of a monkey wrench into the plans there because it was someone that you'd almost written off or someone that, you know, kind of out of sight, out of mind. So obviously a fifth round pick a year ago, I'd be curious to see where he fits in here. Uh, and then if they try to, I know that they had mentioned him playing guard initially, but to see if, you know, if he fits into that swing tackle conversation as well. Yeah, again, versatility is the name of the game, and they certainly have some players. Even Justin McCray's played around. Lucas Patrick's played multiple positions. So uh, some of those uh, training camp battles and where they start lining people up is going to be really fun to watch, even in some of the mini camps and OTAs. So uh, more storylines to keep an eye on as we move forward. Uh, Owen, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. This was great conversation and great conjecture on both Jenkins and Sternberger and just kind of the draft in general. Any final thoughts before we uh, head out today? No, man, just appreciate you being flexible. And we mentioned a, a bit of a unorthodox evening, how this ended up working out, but I appreciate your flexibility and uh, getting me on. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, having you on the team. I'm excited to, you know, get you full-time going forward. That's uh, I'm really, really excited about that. So uh, more info to come on that in the near future. But uh, make sure everyone to join us tomorrow as Steve, Dusty, and Sarah are back together. And uh, they'll be uh, getting you all set with uh, the breakdown of the fourth and fifth round picks for the Packers. So you won't want to miss that. It's always a, a very entertaining uh, conversation from Steve, Dusty, and Sarah. So check that out on Thursday. Uh, Owen, thanks so much again. Make sure everyone to go out and follow Owen on Twitter at Reese Draft. Make sure to follow the podcast at Packaday Podcast. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. With the 24th selection in the 2005 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Aaron Rodgers. Who are you supposed to be? Um, Captain America. Rodgers takes quarterback sneak, reaches over, and the ball came loose, but it's a touchdown! A touchdown, Green Bay! Rodgers reached it over, and the Packers have taken the lead! To announce the Green Bay Packers selection... Please welcome wide receiver James Lofton. With the 53rd pick of the 2014 NFL Draft, the 13-time NFL champion Green Bay Packers select Devontae Adams. I am Thor, son of Odin. Rogers clean pocket, throws the middle, he gets up, Devontae touchdown, and a dagger! They beat Morris Claiborne to the back line of the end zone, the Packers have won it! With the 18th pick in the 2018 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Jair Alexander. The truth is, I am Iron Man. Snap, blitz on, Allen running for his life, gets by Reggie Gilbert, pulls it back over the middle, and it is intercepted out of the end zone. Here come the Packers, down the right side of the 20 to the 25, it is Jair Alexander on the return. With the 27th pick in the 2016 NFL Draft, the Green Bay Packers select Kenny Clark. Oh, Packers showing blitz snap to Cousins under some pressure. He's had it snap. Kenny Clark. 
They have a deal in place with the Chicago Bears. Mac is on his way to Chicago. I want to be great. I want to be great. I want to be known as one of the best to play the game. I always thought of myself as the best defensive player in the league. That's what comes with Mac. Tell me his name again. Thanos. Read it. Run from it. Destiny arrives all the same. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. The Avengers? Of mightiest heroes. Sort of like a team. Five letters here. Just for everybody out there in Packerland and yourself today. R E L A X. Relax. We're in the end game now. one goal here always has been one goal that's to win world championships and we're excited to get started it is my pleasure to introduce matt lafleur as the 15th head coach of the green bay packers in our 100th season i'm all about family if that's one thing you're going to learn about me it's I, I love my family i did have the opportunity to talk to aaron and i'll tell you what i i i cannot wait to get to work with him. I think he's equally as excited. With the 12th pick, the Green Bay Packers select 